Deal? All right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that uh, we come together as a church family, as one body of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we come to serve and worship one God, one Lord, one Savior. And it's one spirit that brings us together. And Lord, we just thank you. And we pray, Lord, as we kind of wrap up the book of Philippians, Lord, may you remind us of the things we need to hear, we need to be challenged with, and that, Lord, you would open our hearts, our minds to your spirit, and may you teach us, Lord God. We thank you, and Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I don't have the clicker, so I might need help over there. Um, so believe it or not, we're, we're wrapping up Philippians, so it's been about four months. Um, I believe at the beginning of uh, our time, I showed some pictures. You guys remember these pictures, right, and, and how these pictures, depending upon how you look at them, thank you, you can see different images, right, the, the, the image on the left, what do you guys see? How many of you see an older lady? How many of you see a younger lady? How many of you still don't know what you're looking at? No? Okay. How about the one on the right? How many of you see a frog? How many of you see a horse? How many of you see neither? (laughs) All right. So you're with me. So we looked at how these pictures, depending upon how you look at it, you may see something different. How many of you are familiar with these kind of things? Do you know what this is? This is called what's called like, I believe it's called like a stereogram. And these pictures, how many of you remember these pictures where you won't be able to do it over a screen, but if you look at it carefully a certain way, you'll see a 3D image come out. You guys see, remember these things? All right. So here, if you looked at it carefully, I forget which one this one is. I think it's, you see like uh, pterodactyls coming out. How many of you see a pterodactyl now? All right, you guys are all honest. I was going to say, if you see a pterodactyl here, you're lying. <laughs> but if you look at it a certain way, you'll see a 3D image come out. This one, all right, this one, if you look at it carefully, again, right, let, me, let me just, you know, relieve you of something. You're not going to see it here most likely, okay? But if you look at it a certain way, you're going to see, I believe it's dolphins that come out on this one, okay? Here's another one. Um, if you look at this one, you'll see <clears throat> stormtroopers will be, they'll appear more in 3D. They'll be layered. It's kind of cool. And here's another one, more Christmas theme. <coughs> Excuse me. I believe this one, if you look at it carefully, you see a Christmas wreath. How many of you believe me? How many of you don't believe me? I'm offended. <laughs> you all believe me except this group here. You don't trust me? Do you trust me? Oh, my goodness. My own daughter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, the more, if you look at it carefully, there's a trick to it. <coughs> if you look at it carefully, a 3D image will come up. It's a little tricky, 
But if you do it, the image will come up. Now, studying Scripture, thankfully, is not so tricky. But if you learn how to look at Scripture, you'll get more out of it. The more time you spend studying Scripture, the more you'll get out of it. And more message speaks to you. (coughs) Excuse me. I got something in my throat. throat) One second. So we started Philippians about four months ago. Covered a lot of topics. A lot of lessons. And we spent a great deal about Paul's writing. And if you, if you, hopefully you've been paying attention, you'll see that throughout our study, Paul has had different themes that's run throughout. And a lot of the themes that we looked at, oh, at first I thought you were like looking at the 3D image. <laughs> I thought you were trying to see the 3D image for a second. Uh, if, you, <coughs> if you recognize that Paul had a, an emphasis throughout the, the letter and he emphasized a lot about our mind, how we see things, how we, our attitudes towards things, our thoughts towards things, our desires, our perspectives, our beliefs. And it really challenged us that how we see and understand our life will greatly affect how we live out our life, the decisions we make. And so as we wrap up Philippians today, you know, it's going to be difficult to touch on everything, but I wanted to highlight certain lessons and um, that we've learned throughout Philippians in our time. And I divide it into four categories. The first one, lessons for the church community. So what are some lessons that we could apply as a church as a whole? Second, life lessons, more of a big picture. So our own big picture understanding of our life, how we're to view those things. And then life lessons, our daily routine. What are some things that we could do daily in our relationship with God and daily in our, in our life. And then the fourth category, Jesus in my life. Okay, what are some things that we can apply that speak to Jesus in our, in our life? Okay, so there's going to be four categories we're going to take a look at today. And um, we're going to jump around a lot throughout Philippians just to highlight some of the things. And the first category, lessons for the church community. What are some lessons that we can learn as a church, as a whole generation's church? And the first thing that we want to make sure is that we need to understand the primacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's one thing we saw throughout the letter of Philippians is that Paul put a priority. His primary focus was the gospel, the ministry of the gospel. And we saw that from the very beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 when he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He recognized that when the, the Philippian church, when they're supporting him, they were participating in the ministry of the gospel. He ended his letter, we saw last week in chapter 4, verse 18. He said, but I received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What we saw with Paul is that he valued, he understood that the ministry of the gospel was not a solo adventure. It wasn't just him doing it by himself. He valued support from the congregation. He valued support from his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now, they may not have been physically present, right? The Philippian church, they weren't present with him. But he recognized that your support for me, you were participating with me in the ministry of the gospel. Paul's focus, his focus was clear, right? His primary objective was the ministry of the gospel, to preach the gospel to all who would listen. And their support was going towards that. You were participating in that gospel that was preached. He says in verse 18 of chapter 1, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. If you remember in that context, Paul was talking about he had haters, right? He had haters who was against him. Yet he also had supporters. He said, in no matter what circumstance, whether I have haters or supporters, what's important is that the gospel is preached. We saw that sentiment, that that understanding for Paul later on in chapter 4, verse 12. We saw this last week. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul was saying is that no matter what circumstance, no matter who is supporting me, no matter who is hating on me, no matter if I'm in struggle or if I'm in plenty, whether things are prosperous or I may need, no matter what the circumstance, the gospel is going to be preached. The work of the ministry is going to happen. And that was the prime goal for Paul. And we see that throughout the letter. And that we as a church, for Generations Church, We need to have that mindset that in everything we do, whether it's in pandemic or post-pandemic, whether we are struggling or whether we're prospering, whether there's five people in here or 105 people in here, the gospel is going to be the primary goal for who we are and what we do. And the ministry of the gospel is going to be that prime goal of what we do as a church and that we all have a part to play in it. Whether you're actually doing the ministry hands-on or you're in a supporting role, we all can have a part in that. We don't all have to say, well, these are the people who are actually doing the ministry and these are the people who are supporting. It doesn't have to be one or the other for us. We all can be a part of both the ministering, and also the supportive role. We all can be a part of it. And I want to encourage you all, find an active role and a supporting role in ministry. Find something that you can do ministry. That's why I encouraged you all earlier about finding someone to pray for. That's ministry. That's you ministering to somebody. You didn't need a title. You don't need to be ordained. You didn't have to like go before the congregation for approval. Find somebody you can pray for. At the same time, you can have a supporting role in a certain uh, situation environment. We all can have a supporting role. Support anchor ministry. Some of you aren't actively participants of the student ministry, but we can support them. You all, you, you, 
the, the teenagers here, part of Anchor, you attending, your presence there is a, a ministry to Pastor Andy. Did you know that? Did you know your presence is a blessing to the pastor? Your participation is a blessing. It's a way of not only supporting, but an active part of ministry because you're there with each other. For those of you who aren't in any particular ministry role, there are some needs that people have, not just the pastors. There's deacons and elders who are overseeing certain ministries, the fellowship ministry, the care ministry. People are setting up and tearing down and all those things. You could take an active role. It's like, I don't want the stage. I don't want the spotlight. That's great. There's a lot of things that go on on a given Sunday that you could be a part of. But I want to encourage all of us that we can all be both an active role in ministry and also a supportive role in the ministry. And we see that here throughout Paul. But whether we're in an active role, we're in a supportive role, which we should all be a part of one way or the other, we all should have a unifying and edifying community. We see this theme stressed by Paul throughout the letter. Whatever we do in the ministry, we want to have a unifying and edifying community. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm what in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's saying, no matter what, whether I'm there with you or not, that I'm hearing that you're staying firm together. One mind. He, he emphasized it again in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. If therefore is any, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. We saw this theme throughout. Paul said, look, if you're coming together, make sure you're of the same mind. Don't look out just for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. And this just wasn't the message to the Philippians. He said the same message to the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Does that sound familiar? Haven't we seen that message throughout the Philippians church, uh, the letter of Philippians? And it's the same message to the Ephesian church. And it's the same message to us. He says in verse 4, There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. What's Paul getting at? Remember, we're all coming in as unique individuals we come into church, right? We all have individual stories. But when we come together, we have a mindset that, you know what, I'm not just here for myself, but I'm here for the person sitting next to me, for the person who's behind me, the person who's not active, whatever. We come together as one body of Christ. 
That's our focus. He reminds us our focus is not about ourselves, but about others. We don't get involved in ministry for our own sake, but to serve others and serve the Lord. He says to work, preserve the unity with diligence. With diligence. Remember in Ephesians 4, 2-3, there was a conflict between two sisters in Christ. They were faithful ministers of the gospel with Paul. But they had a conflict. And Paul made sure and said, look, I'm writing to you all. Make sure you get involved. Make sure this conflict gets resolved. Because Paul understood the, the damage you can have of underlying conflict among individuals. And they've been around church long, and if you understand, you, maybe you've witnessed, you've been involved with conflict yourself. That when you have unresolved tension between people, it can cause division. It can cause conflict. It can infect the congregation. So he said, make sure you, res- you, make sure you preserve the peace. We want to make sure we guard that in our church family. Whether we have differences with each other, things that we can agree to disagree with, that we're, gonna, we're not going to let those things fracture our church family. We're not going to let those things fracture and cause divisions among the body of Christ. We're going to have a sense of humility when it comes to each other. And we can't overstate the fact and the importance that we're going to stand firm together. As Paul was saying, stand firm in the Lord together. This is a hard world to live in as a believer in Christ. Have you witnessed that? Is it difficult to be faithful to God in the world we're living in? Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at school, even in your family. And it helps that we can come to church knowing that there's people in our lives who are standing firm with me. I'm not alone as a faithful believer in Christ. So as our church community, the lessons that we can learn, not only is the gospel a prime objective as a church, but we're going to be a unifying, edifying community. But Paul also has some lessons that we individually can take. Some life lessons that are, involves the big picture. How we see life from a big picture from a distance now i showed you the trick of that those 3d pictures the trick of that is to be able to kind of see the whole picture and yet at the same time you see individual images coming out we need to be able to step back and see the big picture in our life and when we see the big 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 picture how are we going to see certain individual decisions we make Paul's letter offers valuable lessons in this regard. And the first lesson we saw is that loss is gain. This principle of loss is gain. The decision to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, is a life-transforming decision. Your life should look different after Christ than it was before Christ. Because the decisions you make should be different now that you have Christ in your life. I mentioned about building resumes, right, in, in, in the message past. How we kind of grew up thinking that we need to build our resumes, our credentials, correct? Ever since we are little, you know, you get the certificates of achievements, you, your GPA gets tracked, the awards you get tracked, and then you apply for colleges, you have to send out your resumes, and then when you get down to the workforce, you have to build up your resumes, 
We get conditioned to think that we need to build up our resumes to have a successful life. Or maybe we, we, we grow up thinking that our heritage, our culture, is the most important thing about our identity. It's our treasure. These all these different things that we, we grow up thinking that this builds up our resume. But when we stand before God, all those things aren't going to be what we can boast about. Those things aren't going to matter. And Paul learned of this. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things loss to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He said the value of knowing Jesus surpasses all those things I could possibly achieve on my own. Surpasses the value. He understood the value of his heritage. He understood the value of his education, his training, who he was outside of Christ. But he also learned that those things were the very things that hindered him from getting to Christ. Those things became stumbling blocks for him to understand who Christ was. And that could be the very case for us. We could put so much focus on our achievements, on our culture, on all these things, and those things could be the very hindrance from us getting to know Christ more. So Paul says, you know what? All those things are trash. It's garbage compared to knowing Christ. See, the message isn't, I don't want you feeling like, you know, well, it's trash for me to be what I am. No, 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 I'm not saying that's trash. What I'm saying is don't let those things become a hindrance from you to knowing Christ. Because compared to knowing Christ, those things don't mean much if you don't have Christ in your life. And what Paul understood is that now those things become vehicles, means in which he can minister to the gospel. Those are ways that he can know Christ better. He can minister to other people through those things. And can you imagine if we have that idea, that sense of big picture in life, that whether it's our heritage, our culture, our identity, our achievements, our job, our school, all those things could be a means in which God can work in us for a bigger picture, a bigger purpose. It changes our focus. It changes how we see things, what God can do through us. The second big picture concept that we saw throughout Philippians, our eternal hope and destination. Paul's perspective on life summed up beautifully in this simple verse, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is very contrary to what the world would think. But he says, for me to live is not for myself, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, in order to claim that, you need to have security in the hope of what lies on the other side of death, right? If you're going to say, to me to live is Christ and to die is actually gain, you need to have hope and certainty of that, you know what, if I, when my time comes... When I die, that's not the end. That's not the bad part. That's actually 
the good part. What's waiting for me on the other side is far greater. Far greater. This is the promise of the empty tomb. The results of the resurrection of Christ. He says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This was the prize for Paul. His prize was not the job promotion. It wasn't the being able to retire with a nice little nest egg there. His prize was to know the resurrection. His prize was, if he was to leave this earth, that was the prize, to know Christ, to know his resurrection. So in chapter 1, verse 23, he says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. That was his, perp- that was his focus. His eternal hope was that, look, I know that if my time comes here on earth, it's far better for me. That changes how you see life. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as laying hold of it yet, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, that is what I pursue. To be with Christ. That is what I'm living for. That is what I'm pressing for. All these other things, God may use these things to get me there in terms of well, how I can minister the gospel and things I do, those are vehicles of, of things in my life, but that is not what I'm going to live for. I'm living for that moment. So big picture, how we see our life, what lies ahead for us. But what about our daily life? What about the daily things that we experience in our life? Well, Paul brought up two particular examples of how we can be a witness to others. And it's interesting how these two verses or two passages really parallel each other when it comes to our witness to people. The first one we're going to see in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, do all things... Oops. Sorry. There you go. Thank you. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Notice what he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent in this crooked, perverse generation. Right? Your attitudes present yourselves blameless before this perverse generation. And then we see in chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. It's interesting. I see that these two passages that speak about 
our, our witness, what we testify to other people. The first passage, we saw that he says, present yourselves, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children in a crooked generation, in a wicked generation. How do we do that? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't let that be a part of your witness. And then chapter 4, what's the opposite of grumbling and complaining? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. What's the commonality in these two passages? How you respond to situations is a witness, is a testimony to people around you, especially to the unbelieving world, people who don't know Christ. How you respond, how you act in the company of others is a testimony to other people. Do we contrast? You say in the workplace, you know, if you've worked... Maybe you've worked in certain situations like this. You have employees, and they kind of huddle together during break or lunchtime, and all they do is kind of complain. Right? They complain about the boss. They complain about the company or whatever it is. And there seems to be like this pressure to kind of join in on the complaining. Have you experienced that? And you feel this internal pressure of, do I join in and, you know, be a part of it, or do I take a step back and... and, and and not be a part of it, but then I isolate myself. You may have experienced that in, uh, as a student or in, or in your circle of friends. Your friends get together and they start complaining or they start gossiping about other people. And in order to feel like you fit in in this circle of friends, you have to be a part of it. And if you're not a part of it, then well, then you're kind of like left out. He's saying, look. How you respond in these situations is a witness to those around you. How you respond to stressful situations. People are watching you, especially if they know what you're going through. How do you respond? We need to represent a radical hope. We need to be so unique to those who don't know Christ that we even look kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Like they're wondering, why aren't you this way? Why don't you talk about these people? Why don't you complain with the rest of us? Why are you so calm when your life is chaotic? You're going through health problems. If I was you, I would be so stressed and so worried. Why are you so peaceful? Those are opportunities for us to be a witness to those around us. But in order to do that, we need to practice healthy habits. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, But now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, do what you need to do to produce or that will result in salvation. Do what you need to do that will result in your salvation. In other words, if you want an A in a class, what do you need to do? If you want to get an A in a class, you need to what? Study, unless you're a genius, right? I don't know if you're a genius. I'm sure you're all a geniuses here. But at some point, you need to study. You need to listen. You need to read. You need to have certain study habits to get an A. If you want a job promotion, what do you need to do? Your work habits need to be just on the spot. You need to, have, you need to be effective in your work. You need to be able to do those things. If you want a healthy relationship, what do you need to do? Communication, 
spend time, do things for that person, all those kind of things, right? If we want a healthy relationship with God, we ought to do the things that is needed for us to have a healthy relationship with God. And we need to do it and we need to practice it. He says in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving, or with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, saying, look, let prayer be a daily part of your response in everything that goes on in your life. And you have to practice it. Practice it. If you have hard times, stressful times, what's your immediate response? Go complain? Go vent? Do your own thing? Or is it, all right, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to you. There has to be the healthy habits that we have in our life. In the circumstances we go through, God, I'm going to go to you in prayer. And then also we need to maintain a healthy mental diet. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, there's any excellence of anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Having a healthy mindset, a healthy diet. So the things you think about, feed your minds with those things. Be careful of what you entertain or your, your, the thoughts that come in your mind. Now, in college, I remember uh, freshman year in the dorms, right? And so uh, we didn't have good campus food back in, back in the day at San Diego State. And so uh, there was a time when I ordered Chinese food. I had Chinese food in my dorm. Well, you know, I was a young guy, and cleaning wasn't like the, my priority in my dorm room, right? And so I remember, you know, some days gone by, weeks gone by, and I was like... Do you notice the smell? I was telling my roommate, man, this kind of smells funny in here. I don't have the keenest nose. But after a while, I noticed, man, it's not smelling particularly fresh in our dorm. And I look at, you know, I had a pile of clothes on my desk, on my chair and stuff. And I, I decided, you know, I'm going to start cleaning up. And so I picked up some clothes. And what did I discover? Under some pile of stuff, I forgot I had Chinese food. I ate Chinese food, uh, I don't know how long it was, a day, a week, I don't know how long it was. The smell was the plate that I did not clean up. And yes, there was some stuff growing on that plate. I'm like, no wonder. So I had to throw it all away, and my roommate was such a great roommate, he didn't even say anything to me. He didn't complain, but that whole time he's thinking, man, Mike is such a dirty guy. What is growing on his side of the room? It was the leftover Chinese food because I didn't clean it up. See, when we leave stuff lingering in our minds that are just like not good for us, it infects us. It affects us. It makes us a little stanky. You know what I mean? And we need to make sure that we understand what we put into our minds. And if the things that are unclean or react or we think a certain way that's not good, we need to help Get those things out of our minds or else it's going to infect us. The last category, Jesus in my life. How is Jesus a part of my, my life? And we talked and we saw how Jesus is our model. That Jesus is the example of humility. 
We see this in chapter 2, verse 5. Paul said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, we're not trying to be the perfect mics, the perfect whoever your name is. Our goal is like, Lord, we just want to be more like you. We're following your model. We see your humility, what you did for us, and we want to model that in our life. And that we see that God is at work in us because of what Christ did for us. Chapter 2, verse 3, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding or comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're reminded that Jesus is an active part of our life. We want to model Christ, and Christ in our life, he is doing things in us. He is at work in you. He wants to give you peace in your life. He wants to give you the, empower you to do the things that you feel like you can't do on your own. God is at work in you. Well, in this Philippians verse 20, wrapping up the letter, he says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here at the end, we see the fellowship within the community of believers. Whether it's the brethren that we know or those that we don't know. Paul mentions Caesar's household. Those saints among Caesar's household greets you. We know at the time when Paul was in prison, when he was preaching the gospel, there were people who, uh, who were under Roman government, government officials, servants. They also heard the gospel. And it's amazing to think about that. While Paul was testifying of his faith, there were people who were standing there listening and received Christ. See, we never know who was listening or who's witnessing our faith as we live out our faith. And among your circle of friends, you never know who's going to hear the gospel and say, can you tell me more? My life is a mess. You seem to have hope. I need that hope. That's how we ought to be as a church. That's how we ought to live our lives individually. Say, you know what? God, use me for your gospel. May I be a testimony, a witness to those around me and may you do that work in me and in us as a church let's bow our heads and let's pray lord god we do thank you we thank you lord that you want to do a work in us that lord you want to work in us and through us lord god Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to be vessels for you. Help us as a church to be vessels for your 
your gospel. Help us, Lord, individually in our lives to be vessels for your gospel, to do the work of ministry, to be examples of hope, examples of faith. We thank you, Lord God. We lift this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.